Good morning. Welcome again to Aerosmith Baptist Church and our Sunday morning online service. Today's message is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I'll give you a chance to turn there in your Bibles. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So some of you may remember the television show in the 80s and 90s called Unsolved Mysteries, hosted in a very serious and somber way by uh, actor Robert Stack. And each episode various unsolved crimes and unexplained events would be uh, introduced and they'd be uh, dramatized in reenactments. And viewers were encouraged to write or call in with tips if they knew anything about these unexplained mysteries. And occasionally some of the true crime cases were solved and people were reunited. Most of the time, they were true crime stories, uh, missing persons, things like that. Um, The latter years, uh, they got more into kind of weird paranormal stuff like that. Um, But there is something in the mysterious that fascinates us. Mystery fiction books consistently rank high as one of the top best-selling genres. Authors like Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, or Agatha Christie, who wrote Hercule Poirot, are still very popular to this day. Mystery movies, uh, thinking of Alfred Hitchcock, TV shows, the myriad police dramas, um, CSI, NCIS, all of those acronyms, uh, they're very popular, those whodunits. Why are we drawn to mysteries? We have this curiosity of the unknown, and there is so much we don't know. 
We want to understand. We want to make sense of things. We want to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Science seeks to understand the mysteries of the created universe. Man-made religion and philosophy seeks to understand the mysteries of God and the mysteries of the mind. Today, we see many conspiracy theories abounding and this distrust of establishment. People try to come up with their own ideas to bring order to the apparent chaos around them. We have a cacophony of voices, all claiming to know the truth and having solved the mystery. And Paul, writing this letter to the Ephesians, was dealing with a similar environment in his day. Ephesus was a large port city in southwestern Turkey. It was very wealthy and very pagan. You can read about it in Acts 19 as Paul comes into this city, first going to the synagogue and preaching to the Jews. When he was rebuffed from there, he went and preached to the Gentiles. And as he preached, a revival breaks out in the city. Miracles were performed by Paul. Jesus' name, it says, was glorified. People heard the gospel and were saved. And many of them repented from an occult uh, background of pagan practices. And we read that they brought together and burned all these magic scrolls worth, uh, at that time, they said $50,000 worth of silver, a, a very large amount. The city was also known for the Temple of Artemis, one of the Greek goddesses, and it was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world at the time. It was a major part of the economy. Craftsmen made their money uh, making idols out of different materials and selling them to visitors, and they felt threatened by the message of the gospel. One of them, Demetrius, we read, was a silversmith who organizes this protest against these Christians coming into town. And it becomes this crazy, out-of-control mob that goes down to the uh, city offices, and they're, they're, some of the people don't even know why they're there. I mean, kind of sounds familiar today, maybe. Um, so this is the atmosphere and audience that Paul is writing to. Mostly Gentile many likely saved out of pagan and occult practices. And one aspect of paganism at the time was called the mystery religions, secret cults of the pagan deities, um, involving secretive and elaborate initiation rites, um, these complicated rituals, and didn't really make a lot of sense, but it was all about the experience and being in the know and part of the secret. And, and so it wasn't told to outsiders at all. So knowing that this would likely be in the mind of Paul's readers, he uses some of these terms. He uses the word mystery, the Greek word mysterion, uh, three times. Also the phrase make known, uh, norizo, three times. But as we'll study in this chapter, the gospel of Christ isn't a mystery to be hidden, but to be made known. So starting in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery 
was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So Paul starts the chapter with a short testimonial of his ministry, where he's at at this moment. Well, he states he's a prisoner. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell. Uh, they think roughly around 62 AD in his first imprisonment in Rome. But he, as he states, he's a prisoner of Christ. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He knows he's there at the will of his Lord Jesus. He's already had one miraculous prison break, and he would have known of Peter's escape from prison. So he knows that the, the prison bars aren't holding him there. It's the Lord that has him there for a time. And he's not raging at his circumstances. He's not saying, oh, if only I wasn't here, I could truly serve God. He's trusting in God's plan and his timing. He knows the gospel isn't chained. And so he's serving where he is. He says he's there for a reason, literally for this cause. Well, what is the cause? What is the reason? Broadly, of course, for the gospel of Christ. Specifically, for God's plan of salvation to the Gentiles. As we studied last Sunday, once the Gentiles, non-Jews, which is all of us, really, mostly, were alienated from God, having no hope of God in this life. But by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us, we're now able to be brought near to God. Through Jesus' broken body, he made peace for us, destroying the wall between the Gentiles and the Jews and between us and God, creating a new man, a new entity, a new creation. And more, we're now part of the family of God, being built into a new temple of God, the church. Once there was alienation, hostility, and division, but Jesus brought peace, reconciliation, and unity. This was the heart of Jesus as he prayed in John 17, 20-23. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Paul knew how important this mission was. This is why Jesus came to earth. And he was willing to count the cost to be imprisoned for our sake, even to give his life for the cause, like his Savior Jesus. And he's making the point, it's not a trivial thing. It's not idle philosophy. There's a weight to it. There's a gravitas you know, what sacrifices were made by Paul, by others, by Jesus, for the sake of his readers then and now. He's not doing it out of duty, but out of love for Jesus and out of love for us, those that Jesus died for. So as Paul was entrusted with this mission, given this mission, as a steward, taking care of it, 
for his master. It wasn't anything that he deserved or earned. It's only through God's grace that he received this ministry. And that's the same for any of us. It's only by God's grace that we have anything. The mystery, Paul says, was made known. God is a self-revealing God. He makes himself known. Not only for one special group, but anyone who honestly seeks him will find him. And this mystery was made known by Paul, to Paul, by revelation from God. Again, he's not making it up. It came from God. He wouldn't be suffering in a Roman prison right now if this was his own invention. This came from God, and he's acting on behalf of Jesus. We can seek, but we cannot come to an understanding of the mystery and truth of God on our own, in our own power and strength. Not in our own wisdom, not in our own knowledge, not in our own logic, not in our own intellect. We can read, we can hear, we can ask, but the only way to know spiritual truth is if God reveals it to us by the Holy Spirit, and he promises that he will. Verses 4 to 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So God revealed the mystery of the gospel of Christ to Paul by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul then passes on the knowledge he received to the readers of this letter. That by reading these words, we would have the same knowledge, the same insight that Paul had. The word insight, the Greek word synesis, it's like a coming together, a flowing together, of putting the pieces together and coming to understanding, being on the same page, really. And how awesome is it that God has revealed his mystery to us? It wasn't always this way. Before Jesus came into the world, the mystery of Christ was still partially hidden. There were glimpses of the picture of God's plan, but not the full revelation. But when the time was full, Jesus came splitting time and space by his birth, his death, and his resurrection, forever changing the world, forever changing those who are saved by his grace. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. By the Holy Spirit through Paul 
and other apostles and prophets, God, by his grace, revealed the good news of salvation through Jesus. These are things that were not even revealed to angels. We'll read that God will actually use us, the church, for this purpose. The revealed mystery is that there is now salvation for the Gentiles. Again, you and I, non-Jews. We're brought into God's family. Once only for the Jews, now all the families on earth will be blessed, as was prophesied back in Genesis. We're now fellow heirs. We share the same inheritance, same spiritual inheritance. We're adopted sons and daughters into God's kingdom, into his family. We're members of the same body. We're no longer strangers and aliens, united through Christ now. We're partakers of the promise, sharing in the salvation of Jesus, the promised Messiah. Again, this is only possible through the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose again from the grave that we might have a new and eternal life through him. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says he's a minister or servant, really, that word means. By God's grace, again, only by the grace of God, does anyone minister, does anyone serve? Again, he didn't take this ministry upon himself. He was given to it, given it. He was empowered through God's supernatural work. And, you know, when we think of Paul's position in the heroes of faith, you know, we'd, we'd think he's, he's, he's up there, you know? There's, there's, you know, Moses, there's Abraham, David, Peter, uh, all of these great heroes of faith, and, and Paul being up there. We would probably rank him fairly high. But he doesn't claim this position himself. He humbly puts himself as the least of saints. And he says, as in Philippians chapter 3, that there is much he could boast about in his legalistic status as a Jew, um, as a Pharisee, Many things he could boast in. But as he says, he counts it all as rubbish, all as nothing, for the sake of knowing Christ and sharing in his sufferings. And he knew what grace was. He received grace. Remember, he was a former persecutor of the church. He would round up and sometimes even kill Christians. And Jesus intervened in his life. And he was redeemed by God to serve him instead. To serve God, to serve the church by bringing the good news of the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He says they're unsearchable riches. They, they can't be found out. 
by human knowledge. They can't be traced. They're, they're vast. They can't be understood, comprehended by human wisdom. And his mission also was to illuminate for everyone, to shine the spotlight of God's plan of redemption through Jesus. And these were previously hidden, and now they're revealed through the providence of our awesome creator God. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul had his mission from God, his role to play in God's great drama of redemption. It was to minister to the Gentiles, to reveal the light of the gospel to everyone. And those who hear, those who believe and receive the message, have their hearts and minds illuminated by the Holy Spirit, become part of this entity called the church, open to everyone regardless of background. And Paul does what he does for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of building up the church. And he says the church by its very nature reveals the greatly varied wisdom of God who was working from before time began through all of human history to come to this point. Nobody could have planned it. Nobody could have imagined it. It didn't come out of human imagination. It was only an awesome, sovereign, love, sovereign loving creator God. Now God is putting his masterpiece, you and I, the church, on display for all to see. It says revealed not just to the world, but to those in heavenly realms, spiritual beings, angels. God didn't reveal his plan to the angels. They longed to look into it. He revealed it to us, who are made in his image. It's also revealed as a sign to Satan and his fallen angels that he will be defeated one day. He is, Jesus has won. And this is all part of God's, again, sovereign plan and purpose, now realized in Jesus. Because Jesus atoned for our sins by his shed blood on the cross, we're now justified before God. Paul reminds us, by faith in him, we can now come before him and boldly and confidently enter the throne room of God. And we have this hope that one day we'll be forever in his presence. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 talks about this. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're encouraged to remember the incredible blessings and resources we have through Christ. Really, this first part of Ephesians is Paul is, is driving that home, and we'll see even more uh, next week the love that God has for us through Jesus and the amazing blessings that we have. And so he encourages the Ephesians and, and us not to look at the circumstances, the present circumstances around them, around us, but to look up, to look up at Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on him. You know, Paul was writing from prison, and that could look pretty bleak and hopeless. So most of us would, would think that that was a pretty horrible place to be, and it, and it certainly uh, would be. And we could think that, well, why is Paul there? This doesn't, this doesn't seem like it would be part of God's plan to put Paul, one of the greatest teachers and apostles, the writer of most of the New Testament, why would he be in prison? Well, it was to write most of the New Testament that he was put in prison. But of course, we can see that looking back uh, through time to why God had uh, Paul in that place. But at the time, that wasn't evident to, to everybody. But Paul knew um, that God was fully in control of his situation, that he was where he was supposed to be. Paul wasn't caged. He knew that he could come boldly before Jesus at any time he wanted. And him being there was for the Ephesians and for our glory. Glory reflected from Jesus, reflected from God to Paul, to us. You can almost imagine his letters and as rays of light streaming out from that prison cell in Rome. And just as in Paul's time and Paul's situation and the situation in Ephesus, God is fully in control of the situation in the world we live in and in our lives right now as well. And now he certainly has the world's attention more than ever. Now that he has that, now is our time to shine. To share the love and hope of Jesus through the light of the revealed mystery of the gospel. God wants it revealed, no longer hidden. Remember the key phrase from Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glory. You know, all glory belongs to God. We just get to reflect a bit of it to the world. Let us be doing that. I'm going to finish off by reading the last part of 2 Corinthians 4. It seems like a complementary passage, fitting to, to this passage as well. Second Corinthians 4, starting in verse 5. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, 
For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are a good, loving, sovereign God who has done everything by your grace, by your sovereign plan to bring us into a right relationship with you, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have a relationship with you and come into your presence, Lord, having our sins washed by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that this mystery, which was hidden for much of history, is now revealed. And Lord, we get to be a part of that through your church and to reveal that mystery to the world, to shine for you, to reflect your glory to the world, to reflect your love to the world, to bring your truth to the world that is lost and in darkness and needs the light of life of Jesus. So Lord, let us keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, as we live in these uh, troubled times, Lord, help us not to lose heart at the circumstances, but to look to you and keep our eyes fixed on you. Keep our heart anchored with you in heaven, Lord, and to do the work that you call us to do here on earth for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.